everyone to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. And we're not going to go any further before I say, hi, Troy, how are you going? Yeah, I'm good, Brian. Thank you very much for acknowledging my presence. Yeah, no, that's enough now. Enough from you. So today we have got a guest, a returning guest, which, you know, awesome. And we we were really this was someone who inspired us a lot. I think we the professionalism of their podcast, but also the you know the shared history. I think in in many ways. Also, she's a lovely, lovely human, Tara Jane Stevens. Welcome. Thank you. I'll grace you with my presence. Well, yes, we shall wash your feet with our hair very shortly. Uh, you, you guys, right back at you from Canada, watching what you guys are doing in Australia. I totally feel a kinship and it's a thrill to be back. Well, it's because we both share the same monarchy. I think there's a connection there, a deep connection, isn't there? Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that, Brian. Wash your feet with our hair. I thought that was really good one. Yeah. That was good. Although I did, I did break the alabaster jar of perfume all over the floor. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. I've got <laughs> myrrh. I've got frankincense. I've got the works. It's all good. So, Tara Jean, like since we last spoke, which was August twenty twenty one, so it was yeah, over a while. year ago. Yeah, but you've you've obviously got a new season, which we're going to dig into very shortly. But in terms of your career, your family, your life, you've had some significant changes too. You used to be part of a duo on Canadian radio. Now you've you've gone alone. It's drive time, Tara. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, my longtime co-host on morning radio in Vancouver is an Aussie. His name's Kai, and uh, he comes from Adelaide. And yeah, I've I've kicked him to the curb, and now I'm doing a morning show by myself. And if anyone's interested in tuning in, you can hear me around the world at wave ninety eight three FM. It's very cool. And just to clarify, um, Adelaide's no longer part of Australia. We had oh, to okay. note to self. No, no, we do love our friends from Adelaide, but there's there's always rivalry between states. But uh, the people from Adelaide, uh, you know, Adelaide, a bit of a fun fact, it was the only colony in Australia that didn't settle convicts. So Really? Re- yeah. So the, the rest of the colonies settled convicts and that was part of their identity, but not South Australia or not Adelaide. So How fascinating. Yeah. Fun fact. So take that to your next trivia night. I will. I will. And, and Adelaide is is thirty minutes and twenty years behind the rest of Australia. My partner, now partner, she's from Adelaide. Her family's from Adelaide. That explains a lot. <laughs> it does. Hey, here's another fun fact. Sorry, I'm starting off with fun facts. So I was married. Right, I was married for I don't know how long I was married. Sixteen, seventeen years. My ex-wife was from Adelaide, a small town, a small country town, two hours out of Adelaide. And when um, I started seeing my now partner, her mother-in-law, her mother and my ex-mother-in-law grew up together, went to school together and were best friends. How weird is that? That is, is it uncomfortable? No, not really, to be honest, because they haven't seen each other for many, many, many years. Yeah, it, it, it it's weird. It, it's a little bit Twilight Zone. Doesn't it make you wonder about all the connections in the world that we never kind of place together? You know, the people that you know and who they know or who they grew up with. It always baffles me. Here we go. We're at season three of Heaven Bent, which is your amazing podcast, which many of our listeners also listen to, resonates with them. There's amazing things happening in your world. And I know that recently you shared that I think you were in the 
top 10 of all Canadian podcasts on the charts. Um, was that true? Was it number six or number eight? Yeah. I mean, it's been trending around the world throughout the last few weeks. It did very well in Australia. I wish I had checked what it was, but I think I was in the top 100 at one point. And it's done well in all of the Christian English countries of the world. So Australia, England, America eats it up and Canada. Yeah. But I, most of my audience is actually in the United States. I think that they've really connected with uh, sort of my angle on exploring the evangelical Pentecostal world. And the reaction has been 98% positive. That's brilliant. Well, congratulations and and well-deserved as well, because as we've always said, compared to a lot of the podcasts that, you know, ours as well as others that we hear, yours is just so slick. It's just so well done, you know? So. Oh, thanks guys. I put a lot of work into it, a lot of heart and a lot of time. It's a, it's very isolating. And that's why I love connecting with you guys because we're, we're covering a similar topic, the same topic, and you understand what it's like to put, you guys have each other though. We do. It's it's a beautiful thing. And this season is a bit different. I mean, season one, you looked at the Toronto Blessing and all the goodness and gold teeth and glitter and all that from there. And Angel's Wings. Angel's Wings. Of Angel's course. Wings. I forgot about that. Um, and Bethel was season two. They're fairly high profile, I guess, both of those ones. This one is a church which you've focused on that isn't really that well known. I mean, I'd ne- I'd never heard of it. No, people do not know about this church. No, but it's also it's a crossover into true crime. I think it's it's very different. And I've got to admit, when I listened to episode one, I went, "What's Tara Jean doing here? I, I have no idea where this is going." And then episode two dropped, and I was like, "I'm hooked. I'm absolutely hooked." Because I do love a bit of true crime, but also it's got that spiritual element. Give us a little bit of a rundown. What's it about? Well, for season three, I follow that Pentecostal spirit of revival down to Nashville, Tennessee, and Southern America in general. And I explore the history of a really small network of Pentecostal churches, an assembly called Emmanuel Churches of Christ, which has this incredibly rare and beautiful legacy of female leadership. So it was founded by a woman for you know, nearly a hundred years, there were female preachers and prophets and leadership and mentorship, and it, I was really excited about that. But at the same time, this same church experienced an absolutely tragic event in 1987 when uh, one of their churches suddenly was up in flames. And this is where the true crime aspect comes in. So forgive, uh, you know, how dark this gets. But inside that burning church, they found a mutilated headless body. Uh, So that's where uh, episode one, season three kicks off. And it is a true crime season. I had never done anything like that before. So uh, that was a new experience for me. But of course, I had to bring in what I know people and what I love about Heaven Bent, what we're here for, which is an exploration of spiritual experience, traditions, beliefs. Uh, so I I hope that I've carefully threaded both of these things through the entire season. And this is all to benefit my new friend, Sharon, who is a former member of Emmanuel. She's, you know, she, she's the same age as me. We have so much in common, grew up in the Pentecostal church, her down in Nashville, me, me up in BC, but she reached out after she listened to my previous seasons because she thought maybe I could do something similar with her church as I had with my own. And I think that is one of the the stark differences too, is 
you have a connecting point all through this season so far. You have Sharon there with you that you're bouncing off some of those things. And obviously she has a, a family connection in with that church as well. So she's able to give some of her memories and some of her recollections of, of events around that, but also some of the things that were missing in what was told to her or what wasn't told to her throughout these events. So I find that interesting too because you are you're almost like truth testing it all the way through too and and also raising her consciousness. So it's definitely a different season and it's really enjoyable and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And I, I, one thing I've done or haven't done is Googled this church. Yeah, don't do event. it. No, because I don't, don't want do to it. know how it ends up. I, I want to wait to see how you land this. Yeah, there's very minimal information on the internet about this church and even this crime itself, but I would suggest not to Google it because if you see just some of the, you know, Associated Press articles when they were covering the trial in 1987, 88, 89, and then later on, uh, it'll just, it'll give away the ending. And I think the journey for things like this are so important. So don't ruin it for yourself. Let me take care of you. Let me guide you. So on that note then, Tara Jean, how did you do all the research for this? Because I hear you saying, you know, there was nothing in the newspapers and I can almost see you, you know, playing around with microfish and things like yes. this. How, how did you t – tell us about that. Um, I, I really took a genealogical sort of slant to my research. It's something that my mom and I do together as a hobby. Um, we help people solve family mysteries. We build people's family trees. We reconnect people with, you know, their long lost loved ones or their birth family. And so when I started to research Emmanuel Church of Christ and there was nothing online, I went, okay, maybe I need to sort of apply that type of research style to this story. And so that is, I mean, separate from maybe the true crime aspect of, of this season, that is how I found almost all the information about the original founder, Nina Mae Pierce, about some of the major players in this church over the years. Uh, I found secrets that had been long since buried by leaders in this church. I've kind of brought them back to the table and I don't want to give any of it away, but as a researcher, it was so thrilling for me to find things that were uh, secret and sort of air it out for everyone to see. And Sharon, you know, my friend who was formerly in the church, ate that up so much, you know, because these were, again, things that they didn't talk about. So that part of it, the, the research part of it was really fascinating to me. As for the actual true crime aspect, there was, you know, court documents. There, uh, One of my guests in the season is one of the lawyers that was involved in defending the person who's eventually charged with the crime. And his insights were so incredible, especially since this lawyer has an incredible heart for, well, an anti-heart for religion. He's a, I think he did he say he was agnostic? I can't remember. But as much as he was giving me information on the trial and the actual case and what happened, he also had a lot to share about what he feels about the church and what it represents and the good and the bad that it brings to the table, which of course is so much about what Heaven Bent is. I think he said he was an atheist, I think, when I was listening to Was it an atheist? That. Yeah, yeah, I think he said he was an atheist. Well, you you remember more than I do. I do, yeah, because I only just <laughs> listened to it the other day. Oh, did um, you? Okay, great. I was hooked from the first episode, to be honest. I got in there and thought, okay, this is cool. This is going to this is gonna take us somewhere. But then I did like how you jumped into what I guess is more, a, in air quotes, traditional heaven bent when you started talking about the the camps and the services and and all that as well. But one thing I want to 
sort of bring to the table, or at least start to talk about, is the idea of history. You just said then, the things that they had buried. And we have found in our podcast that there is a sanitized history of a lot of these groups, you know, especially when you're in the group, or sometimes there's no history at all. It's, you know, what, what we've called historylessness, where they just go from the book of Acts straight to their church. What came up for that for you in that, that these churches do bury their history and lock it away? Well, the one thing that comes to mind when you ask that is actually this season does have at least one episode where I dive a little bit further into the Azusa Street Revival, 1906, Los Angeles, which if you're in the Pentecostal church, we can all trace our roots back to this revival. And this was an event that is, there's tons of information about this event out there. But as far as history in the church, for me growing up, I was never told about Azusa. We were never talked about it. And I thought, if I was growing up in the church, and for me, just the way I am, if they had told me more about that kind of history that we had, I wonder if I would have gripped onto the church a little bit longer. Um, I wonder if I would have cared for it and fostered the, that community in a different way. Because even though I'm not in the church anymore, I feel so much more connected to the roots of my childhood church now than I ever was before. And it fascinates me specifically too, in regards to history with this season. I think that there was a lot of stuff kept secret because in the South, there was a lot of racism that was involved in the church. I touch on that in episode six. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had about misappropriation of, of black culture in the Pentecostal church with music and worship behavior. And what about the female aspect, the women aspect? Because that turned out this Nina May woman had done all this amazing stuff. She was sort of an Amy Semple McPherson style character, wasn't she? Definitely, yeah. And yet they sort of buried her history as well, and yet she was the founder. I think there was a transition that happened after that leader died, after the founder died in 1975. There was a complete shift to male leadership. Uh, the bishop overseer of the overseers of the church ever since then have all been male, and there are are no women on the board of this church. A hundred years later, after it was started, and you know, fostered by so many women, I don't know if they specifically muted that story, but it's definitely not celebrated in the sense of a woman started this church. Let's 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 lift her up. Let's lift this up and have that be the spirit of who we are today. That was definitely lost. So to reconnect my friend Sharon, my new friend Sharon, with that part of the history of her church was really exciting. And I mean, she knew. She knew that a woman started her church. It's not that that part of it was kept a secret, but I think to actually take the time this season to see that woman, Nina Mae Pierce, as a real woman and not just some sort of saint who started a church is fascinating and helpful to us, you know, because in the end, the church is all being run by people who make mistakes and have drives for success. And that's one thing that I personally am always trying to bring to the table with Heaven Bent is talking about the church, but not through a Christian filter. One other thing that I thought was interesting, and again, the parallels with Amy Semple McPherson was that Sharon was saying, this woman could have done anything. You know, she was an entrepreneur. I don't know if that's the word she used, but she could have done anything. And it was very much like that with Amy Semple McPherson too, that these were driven women. Ambitious women. Yeah, ambitious, but also very, very talented and 
and just had this ability to to do what they did. And it was, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that sort of the birth of Pentecostalism, there was a place for women. Yeah, there certainly was. And, you know, I say that, you know, the the Emmanuel Church of Christ had this rare legacy or rare history of women leadership. But in comparison to the greater Christian church, the Pentecostal church has definitely held space for women throughout the years, going back to the very beginning. You know, it gets a bit dark and shady at times, but there was space for women like Amy Semple McPherson. And I was so thrilled to be able to include some actual audio of Amy in season three, which is one of my favorite parts of of the new season, to hear her speak, to hear what a talented orator she was and, you know, that old-fashioned quality in her voice. I don't know. It just really, it made me, it, it just made me excited because, you know, for me, Growing up in the church, I became a public speaker. I, I I host radio shows, television shows. Obviously, I host a podcast. And when I was still in the church when I was younger, these same sorts of qualities in me, I thought would make me wind up being a preacher or a Christian television host or something like that. So I am fascinated by these women and the tr- and the sort of trail that they took, knowing that that could have been something I I did. I don't think it's very common for Christian young people to want to be preachers and Christian television hosts. <laughs> I'm joking because in Pentecostalism, that's what we're all going to do or, or sing and change the world, a.k.a. Justin Bieber. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Isn't it interesting that while you were in that scene, that that's how you contextualized who you would be in the future. So you had to take your faith forward and whatever you did, because I, I remember I was the same, you know, I've spoken about this before that I wanted to to help people, I wanted to pastor them, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, career-wise, uh, I became a social worker because that's what I really wanted to do. The heart of it was uh, I wanted to help people, I wanted to look at systemic oppression, all those sort of things. I could never have done that within the church. That that wouldn't have happened. But you're forced to look at who you will become in the context of that church community yes. and the broader church. Um, yes. Which, you know, for, for us, and we're probably a bit more darker than you, Tara Jean, and, and a bit more cynical. Um, you're always very positive, but we talk about how... That's just when I'm in front of a microphone. <laughs> but <laughs> we talk about the bubble that, you know, is created and, you know, how it becomes very cultish within, within churches because you have to... You're, context has to be within the church. Your future has to be within the church and you have to carry some of it forward, regardless of the fact that there's this push that you've got to be part of the world and bring people to Jesus and all that sort of thing. But don't be too much of a part of the world. I mean, you, you've got to make sure you're, you're separate. So it's all this ridiculous contradictions that that sit behind everything. So there's only a little bit of a segue, but it was just, I just had a brain fart. No, I feel you. I feel you. I was a child actor before I, you know, before I got into church and everything. And so that sort of translated for me as well, coming over into being famous for Jesus. And that's what we see a lot with the whole sort of Hillsong and and that mega church thing that's, you know, the seven mountains and all this. It's all about taking your gifts out into the world and doing whatever it is you do. But well, there's Justin Bieber again, right? Great example. Yeah, exactly right. So 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 that does happen. But there is a lot of famous for Jesus vibe going on especially in that in that sort of mega church thing yeah most definitely is is the beebs has he sort of backed away a little bit from hillsong no he's still there oh no he's definitely backed away he's he's formally even said i'm no longer associated with specific people i'm not too sure what church he's going to yet but obviously 
if you follow this world like we all do, we know that there's just some pretty terrible turmoil there. So anybody with that has fame for Jesus at this point is very much removing themselves from that whole conversation as best they can, right? But Justin Bieber, who, you know, his mom was involved with the original leadership at the Toronto Blessing. Justin Bieber was prayed over in a Toronto Blessing meeting. I've heard stories from people over the years about this one moment where he was prayed over and they said, you are going to change the world with your music. You're going to change the world with your voice. And the funny thing is that he did. But guess what? Thousands of other young people have been prayed and prophesized over in the exact same way. And they were lifting up his talents. They were encouraging him. And that is where some of the power in church congregations comes from. It's funny hearing you say that. And I'm glad you brought that up because when I re-listened to our episode and I heard you say that about Justin Bieber, that he had this prophecy that he was going to, and people could look back and say, remember, you know, and it's, it's exactly like a lot of prophecies. You forget all the ones that didn't happen because I got that prophecy with my singing as well, that I was going to be used by God to, you know, with my singing and never happened. Right. And, and people that we knew who were extremely talented. I can remember, I'm sure I even gave that prophecy to to people who were extremely talented singers saying, you're going to be, nah, nothing happened. So you're exactly right. You know, millions, thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids have had, you know, you're going to be used by God to do X and then they don't. And then when someone like Justin Bieber comes along and they're like, see, it's true. God's real. Well, the end of the very final episode in season one, my mom gave me some audio to share with everyone that was a prophecy that she had received, and it was recorded on a cassette deck at a women's conference on Vancouver Island when I was quite little. And in there, the woman says to my mom, you have a daughter with, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but you have a daughter with brown hair, and she loves to sing and use her voice, and she's going to sing and use her voice for God. And here I am with this podcast now. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm serving God anymore. But do you want to do you want to break into how great thou art? And we'll, no, we'll, I just I'm getting over. We'll do a harmonies. Pass. We'll do harmonies. You can't see us now, but I got my hand over my ear. I'm ready to do harmonies with you. I see the child star in you. I see that Jesus fame glowing in your eyes. There's a lot of things that, that obviously when you're recording a season like this. I mean, it's. It's obviously taking you a long time. So I remember when we did speak to you over a year ago, you were you were inferring that you were going to take a different direction, and it wasn't this one. So it took us by by surprise. Obviously, you've you've had to do a lot of research. You would have done a lot of interviews. You would have come across a lot of information. What was some of that stuff that ended up on the cutting room floor? Some of the stuff that didn't make it into season three that stood out for you. That was maybe too dark for Tara Jean. Oh my gosh, so much stuff. I mean, the problem with being a researcher and someone who enjoys research so much is that I went down some wormholes and spent a lot of time researching things that never, ever made it into script form or got cut eventually because it was too much of a distraction. You know, and I think a lot of that had to do with Nina Mae Pierce was the founding bishop overseer of this church. And one of the things I discovered was this one husband that she had that nobody talks about. And his life to me was so fascinating, but it wasn't fascinating because of anything that had to do with the church. It had to do with before he was a Christian, he was this aviator, he was winning, inventing things that helped with flight and the, you know, the evolution of planes and 
I spent weeks researching that stuff, but that's not for heaven bent. You know, that was something that just fascinated me at the time. So in the future, I'm hoping that if I ever do go down a sort of sidetrack like that, that I can remember in the moment, okay, this is not good use of my time. But, you know, I do want to mention as well that you brought up, I think I probably, did I mention to you which topic I was maybe going to do for my next season? Yeah, you spoke about IHOP. Yeah, so I'm doing IHOP. I'm doing it. I'll say it right here and now. Season season four is going to be on International House of Prayer in Kansas City. And the reason why season three wasn't IHOP is because I started to to research it. I have a really vibrant group of ex-members of IHOP who have come to me and specially requested that I do this season. And as I started to do my initial research and interviews, guys, it was so heavy. It was so dark. There is so much trauma. There was so much there. I had to step away. And I know I stepped away and then did this true crime episode about a headless body. But like I'm telling you that what I was hearing about what happened at IHOP was so disturbing to me that I needed to take a moment away. Um, And now I have. I took a year off that and I'm back into it again. And I really, really believe that this season is incredibly important. My sort of guiding question for the season is going to be about, is this church, is what this church does that's good, does that outweigh everything that it's done and is doing that's bad? Because it's overwhelming to me, the negative impacts that it's had. And I if you've listened to Heaven Bent in the past, you know I try to see the good. I try so hard to see the good. So that's going to be my challenge in this episode is or in that season, in season four. That's going to be my challenge to see what is good about this space because the people who have reached out to me just want to just want to spark a match. Do you know what I mean? So I think there's also going to be some legal concerns with episode or with season with season four because this church is very litigious, I believe is the word. Uh, So they've got lawyers at the ready. So I'm going to make sure that I do everything above bar and keep myself and my podcast network safe. But I think it's a really, really important season. And if there's anybody listening that has any sort of connection to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City and wants to tell me a story or share audio with me, I hope you'll get in touch. Ah, yes. Pentecostalism and trauma. These things go hand in hand, don't they? So, yeah, we're looking forward to that one. Looking forward to that one. Hey, but let's come back to this season because one thing, and let's lighten this a bit. We'll take it down the Tara Jean Road and make it positive. The French bench, that made me laugh. And I I loved hearing you guys laugh, you and Sharon, when we're talking about the French bench. I just thought it was hilarious. But the thing that stood out to me, right, was on the one hand, and this is the contradiction when it comes to Pentecostalism, is on the one hand, they've got this thing called the French bench where they're obviously going and sticking their tongues in each other's mouths. Hence this the was French a Pentecostal bench. camp, yeah. Yeah, right, 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 at a Pentecostal camp. And yet they're not allowed to wear pants and they're not allowed. Because they're still human beings. They were still teens with hormones running through the woods like any non-Christian camp, you know, it's, I think there's, there's something so beautiful about that story that Sharon told me that there was this bench in the woods at the Pentecostal camp where some of the kids would go off and make out that these real teenagery things were happening while all around them, there was, you know, such an incredible focus on speaking in tongues and healing and prophesying. And that is intense, like hours and hours at altars crying and having people 
smack your chin to get you to speak in tongues and shake your body. And yet still you can take a lunch break and want to go kiss George on the bench. Like human beings are incredible and resilient, you know? Can I, can I just put a correction in there? Because for the listeners, a, a, a minute ago, you would have heard Troy say, hey, they're at this camp and they're not allowed to wear pants. For those who haven't listened to this season, they still had to be clothed. They just, the oh, women. Did it sound like- <laughs> yeah, it, it did sound like that when I said that. They couldn't wear pants. Oh, Yeah, we're talking, we're talking old school Pentecostal with, you know, the long, the long skirts. That was even part of, you know, my experience in Prince Rupert in my Christian school, my Pentecostal Christian school, your skirts had to be six inches below your knees because if you showed your knees to boys, it would give them sexual feelings and that was your fault as the girl. But wasn't that a contradiction? Like on the one hand, and that's what I meant, you know, they couldn't wear pants, they had to wear skirts so they couldn't, wouldn't set the boys off, but then they're running off around the corner and sticking their tongues at each other's mouth. I mean, that's going to get you off more than a knee. Yeah, you know, it's that's the whole thing about the church, right? Does it really in the end make it's all it's like we're playing pretend. Oh, totally. Exactly. Well, it's it's a little bit a bit like those two female leaders. It's interesting, isn't it? Nina May and also Amy Semple McPherson, they were collectors of of husbands. And this is something that's that yeah. Um it was something that's really frowned upon in the that certainly in the modern Pentecostal church, it's maybe starting to be less frowned upon and accepted. But even twenty years ago, divorce in the evangelical Pentecostal scene wasn't really uh something that people handled very well. But guess what? These two women who, yes, were collectors of husbands were, again, incredible speakers and manipulators and knew how to get their way. So they used the Bible in in a powerful way to sort of either, you know, I mean, some of these marriages for them were secrets and you sort of maybe hidden shames, but there was always that conversation about, you know, I can't remember the exact verse that I referenced in season three, but there are verses that say, you know, here are some cases where you may want to end this marriage. Like, is this husband beating you? Is, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that these women use those verses to their advantage for sure. Yeah, and look, no judgment from me. Good on collect away. Everyone's got to have some sort of collecting habit in their life, and that was theirs. I, I think it's just interesting. It's another one of those contradictions. It's it's a bit of cognitive dis- dissonance, really, in in some sort of way. But that's Pentecostalism in a nutshell, isn't it? Cognitive dissonance certainly is. Hey, so another thing I want to ask you about Tara Jean was this one is about this episode, or excuse me, this season is about oneness Pentecostalism, which when we were Pentecostals, oneness Pentecostalism were like the bad cousins. They were like the dark, the dark cousins, you know. Tell us about this and, and, you know, what did you find out about oneness Pentecostalism? Well, number one, I was raised Pentecostal, but I had never heard of oneness Pentecostalism until Sharon reached out and told me about her church. So that was incredible for me to sort of, and very confusing too. Even as someone who grew up Pentecostal, I had a lot of trouble sort of wrapping my head around what it was. But uh, it basically comes down to this belief that Jesus is not one of three gods, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's just God manifesting as a human being or as his son. And in that way, they really elevate Jesus and treat him in a way that like, I thought that we 
sort of cherish Jesus in a way and lift Jesus up in a way that was uh, really iconic. But the Oneness Pentecostal Church does it in an even greater way. And I think that there was a lot of time, maybe too much time spent for me this season trying to figure out how to explain that to people who are listening, either from the Christian church or not from the Christian church at all, because you start to go, okay, what's the big deal? What did, what, why was this so div- divisive? Like, why, why did the people who were regular Pentecostals get so upset that the oneness Pentecostals had this belief? And unless you're really in it and actually believe, it's hard to sort of scrunch your teeth into. But it was something that made this particular assembly of churches unique and, and special. So can I can I show that I've been to Bible college and yeah, say yeah. that it's what's called modalism and the idea that Trinitarianism is, well, you know, what the Pentecostalism that we came from is the idea that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are existing simultaneously, yet they are still all one, yada, yada. It doesn't make any sense. That's Trinitarianism. But modalism or oneness is the idea that the father sort of vanishes and becomes Jesus. It's like he, he yeah. represents one at a time. And then Jesus disappears up into heaven and then sort of comes back as the Holy Spirit. So these three don't coexist. So they actually see that Jesus was fully God at that time. And, you know, now it's the Holy Spirit kind of thing. And so. And if Jesus is God and not just the Son of God, then you should. You, there's so much more reverence, there's so much more worship and adoration to this you know, human being form. That's right. And and they also get hooked on the baptism. It has to be in the name yeah. of Jesus, not in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is, so our baptisms are all invalid. We haven't been baptized yeah. properly and we're probably not saved. I'm cool and with it, that. I'm <laughs> cool with that. I'm glad. Yeah, me too. But but the I'm thing right. about it is they become quite isolated, don't they? Like they separate themselves from as much as mainstream Pentecostalism has separated themselves from oneness. Oneness has separated themselves from mainstream Pentecostalism. And they think that we were all deceived and lost. And I mean, they become quite cultic, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I, I just really never even knew there was a split off like that when I was growing up. So it was new to me, not only that there was this division in the Pentecostal church, but also, especially in America, just such a, you know, they were fighting. They, you know, there was decades of them trying to sort that out. I think that, you know, when I talked to Sharon from season three, even though she's not in the church anymore, she does have these moments where I can tell that she still remembers feeling so special, thinking that we had the answer even compared to other Christians who were also saying like us, we had the answer. No, 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 no. They had the answer. And it just gets just broken down and more minute and more minute and more minute. And in the end, it's just words. It's just, it's just words. Sharon's as special as the other 4,000 different Christian expressions or movements, isn't she? <laughs> I mean, this is the thing with Christianity. Like it, it just has all of these different expressions, movements, split-offs, and they'll be over the smallest things, but they start a new movement. Or it can be method actor God who has to, you know, step into different roles all the time. So, you know, there's always something that splits them off. So, But everyone feels special. We felt special. I mean, you would have felt special, particularly being part of the Toronto Blessing. I mean, I know that you didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it at the time, no. I only figured out what the Toronto Blessing was and had a name for it once I started researching Heaven Bent. Yeah, that's right. It was just church for you. So Mm -hmm. whereas for us, you know, I mean, we we were part of a, you know, a well-known 
at the time would have been seen as you know a mega church i guess in in terms of the the size of it and also the the influence footprint that it had and you did feel special you felt special so you know you instill and i think that's one thing about leadership isn't it in any realm you want those who are working with you to feel special about what they do to feel unique to feel part of something and obviously that's what oneness pentecostal did as well with that was there a separation from the world you know it's something that we see with a lot of movements that they had to be separated from the world and not really mix with it too much and skate that thin edge of the wedge and make sure you didn't fall over into into that space what was the expression because you don't hear it a heap through this season so far and a slight segue if you want to fast forward you can go to heaven bent plus and you can listen to the whole season but what was the experience of someone within this church of Sharon, like their experience in mixing with community, broader community? Yeah, I would say that Sharon definitely had a trickier time with that than let's say I did up in Prince Rupert. My community was isolated in a small town. Here we were in this little church. Hers, they were connected to all the other Pentecostal churches all over the South and they would all gather and they, I mean, even though they were a small group, they they were a large group in the sense of, um, you know, how many small churches were involved. And I think that Sharon had a really vibrant sense of family and community because of that. Uh, but at the same time, and I'm not sure if this is exactly what you're getting at, there was this really heavy, dark wall uh, between them and what was happening in the secular world. You know, Sharon brought it up in one of the episodes in season three about how they weren't allowed to watch MTV. You know, when we got older, there were there were lots of things like that, like not reading Harry Potter. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know about Rainbow Bright being of the devil and so many stories about these seemingly innocent childhood entertainment forms being evil and of the devil. So it's not just don't go over there. It was like this fear placed in us about what that space was. And even still now, as an adult, I still go, ooh, should I do a down dog in yoga? Am I presenting my asshole to the devil right now? Like those thoughts come into my mind because it was taught to me at such an impressionable age, right? You know, it happens. It's just... I, I wish that I could shake that, but it's part of me. It's part of who I am. And I know for Sharon, it's the same for her. I, I wish you could shake it too while doing the down dog. I think that would be very liberating for you, <laughs> to be honest. And and look, we've got to come off mute because we are wetting ourselves here when you said, <laughs> am I presenting my ass to the devil? Oh, no, 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 it was asshole. It, wasn't yeah, it was. It was. I wasn't <laughs> yeah. sure if I was going to add that because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a woman make, of specificity. I'm going I'm to be. I'm going to be letting letting myself out of the bag if I start to say asshole, and she didn't. So I wasn't. <laughs> I did. I did. Oh, yeah, no, no, oh, totally very, very asshole. But, you know, everyone knows that Rainbow Bright will make you a new age gay person. So that's, that's Well, wasn't obvious. it Care Bears? Wasn't it Care Bears Care, did make yep. you gay? Care Bears did make you gay, yeah. Okay, yep. Well, they had rainbows. Rainbows coming out of their chest. I mean, it's obvious. I think back then there wasn't even the attachment of rainbows and the LGBTQ, you know, no. community. So I, I don't know where they got that from. Proto-rainbows. Who knows? I don't know. I can remember somebody said to me, and I'm telling you this is the truth, someone said to me that someone had come to their church and spoken and said that they knew for a fact, somehow they were connected, that there was someone hired 
on the staff of E.T., the movie, to write latent homosexual things into the script between Elliot and E.T., and so E.T. was gay. Yeah, I'm telling you, this is, this is what they were saying. So E.T. was gay and it was all this sort of subconscious kind of homosexuality vibe and everything. I mean, this is what we were told. And, you know, we even joke about our good friend Anthony Van Brown, who is now a campaigner for, for you know, gay acceptance into the church, etc. He used to tell us Kermit the Frog was dangerous because of the rainbow connection, which was not a gay thing. It was a new age thing because it was a new age. A totally rainbow. new age, yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, now I delight in all these stories, right? But there was a time when that stuff was scary. But you'd make up your own rules. Even some of them you, you wouldn't hear from the pulpit or from leadership or whatever. I remember when Harry Potter came out and I was like, oh, no, you shouldn't read that. That's Your kid's going to be interested in magic. Wizards and magic and sorcery. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've I've never seen one of the movies, but I've read all the books and absolutely loved them. But that was the that was the vibe at the time when it came out. I was like, oh, watch this J.K. Rowling. She'll take all your kids to the devil. But that wasn't something I ever heard from the pulpit or that was just something that you interpreted because you got this lens in your life that went, oh, anything that's magic as such. Let's, let's not forget that we had a God that we worshipped that did a magic trick with loaves and fishes but and and water and wine but you know you don't outside of that you don't want to be able to to acknowledge anything magic might happen and how disappointing too i think about all of the christian kids who didn't get to read harry potter when it was such an uplifting literary moment in human history where so many people were reading and enjoying and talking and imagining and being you know it inspired so many people let's let aside jk rowling where she's at now and all that controversy it was you know that series is a wonderful gift to humanity the one thing that I still just lock back onto that I miss about the church that I still wish that I could find some kind of version of is a space to cry and sing is a safe space to uh, that's it cry and sing well we could do that we can do that now if you want uh, well, yeah I mean we, we could do it now this is the second time I've asked you to sing yeah I know I'm not doing it I'm not doing it but you know there is a space I guess for that in concerts you know there's certain bands that can do that. Like I always think about, you know, Coldplay and and bands like that, or like in the in the older days, like U2 or something. Those were bands that made me feel like I was in church. One Republic has that very much, uh, that quality to them. I actually, I had the chance because I work in radio to interview One Republic and they performed for me once this really intimate little concert in my radio studio. And I said to them, you know, I was raised in the church, guys, and you make me feel like you're taking me to church without all the complicated Jesus stuff. And the entire band went, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And a bunch of them had also been raised in the church and they had had conversations early on when they first formed a band about creating music that felt like it did in church, but without all the baggage. It's interesting, isn't it? We've got a band here in Australia called Gang of Youths that was similar, and you you may play them on your radio station. I know they've they've gone worldwide. Look them up and um, look at a couple of those guys came from Gang of Dudes. Gang of Youths. Oh, Gang of Youths. Okay, it's in a youth group, but not youth group because that's different. Wasn't that past past the duchy? Wasn't that youth group? I think it was. I don't know. No, that was musical youth. A musical youth, that's right. But yeah, Gang of Youths. I don't uh, think a Christian band would call themselves Past the Duchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. no these guys were secular. They, oh, yeah. secular. Okay. 
and and so is gang of youths they're they're secular absolutely but a couple of them were involved in the pentecostal church way back 10 odd years ago but you can hear it in their music you can hear the influence it's that anthemic type themes that come through it the take you from a it's it's almost like a worship session, like it takes you and then there's a crescendo in their music. So it's it's really interesting. Listen to they're they're an awesome band, actually one of my favorite bands. But do they repeat the same line over and over and over through the bridge for fifteen <laughs> minutes until you cry and fall on the ground? <laughs> no, they don't, but they do make you cry. Actually, yeah, Coldplay makes me cry, but for another reason. I find them very boring. Sorry. Chris Martin, if you're listening and you're obviously uh, going to be no, listening. He's out. He's gone now. <laughs> he's gone, is he? Yeah, so uh, I think you're right. Like some of that, it's hard to shake. I think that's what some of it is. There's also a formula which people take forward into their lives even after they leave the church, but it's also hard to shake. It becomes part of it's imprinted in you. Uh, I think it is difficult. And, and in some ways, you know, we speak about this, Troy, you're the forever evangelist, but it's always in a different sort of theme, isn't it? But you probably were before you went into the church as well. Um, you're talking about you're a childhood actor. You were, you know, you were out there. So I, I think it's it's an interesting thing to reflect on. Yeah, I guess I'm supposed to respond to that now and say something, but I, that's, I, I hate it when people say that to me. Oh, you know, you're still the evangelist, always the evangelist. I don't know, that sort of triggers me, but I guess it's kind of true. Tarajin, how do you feel about your Penti past now? I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but let's be more specific. How do you feel about it, having done this this now season? I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think I think I still consider I still consider myself like no, I'm not Pentecostal, but I feel like parts of it influence how I am you know, and learning more about the history of Pentecostalism and meeting other Pentecostals from different parts of the world, whether they're, you know, no longer Pentecostals or not. And seeing that connection, it just makes me, it makes me still feel like I have community, even though I don't. I like being able to say that I was raised in the Pentecostal church and that I used to speak in tongues. I think it's made me a more interesting person. And yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm never going back. But I'm glad I was there. You, you talk about, um, you know, your husband was one that really encouraged you to explore your past and that's what led you to um, originally do Heaven Bent and do the pod. Has he come along on the journey with you and, and what's been his experience and what's been, how have you raised his consciousness through it? T- tell us a bit about that. I do not talk about my podcast with my husband. I don't think he listens to the podcast because I think it makes him cringe. I think he's very he's very proud of me. He knows it's good and that people are celebrating it and that it's doing really well and that I sit at the kitchen table and toil and mutter to myself and disappear to do interviews all the time. But, you know, I think it's very similar to my radio show. I asked him, I don't care if you listen, don't talk to me about my show when I come home. This is my safe space. So I do feel like he's doing that same sort of courtesy for me with my podcast because when I'm home, I don't. I don't want to know that you listened to season three and whether you liked it or not. It's out. It's published. Uh, I don't tell. Like that just makes me nervous. So I think that um, he's doing me a courtesy and giving me a safe space. But again, I will say most people in my family, other than my sister, they don't listen because I think they're they just get very uncomfortable. 
Do you know what's interesting about this point is that the three of us are sitting here, we all have non-Christian partners. And I think that happens to a lot of people that when they move away from Pentecostalism, there's no way they're going to want to marry someone that came from that because you kind of want to, yeah, you kind of want to leave it behind. But I know that there are some people that are listening who have a Christian marriage that has survived, you know, they've left and they continue with that. And I do know that some people actually do hook up afterwards with other ex-Pentecostals. But it is interesting, isn't it, that we've all sort of said, and and I know for me it was a conscious decision, I want nothing to do with any sort of intimate relationship with someone from the church. And so I intentionally chose, my wife was raised, you know, in the Chinese Communist Party, like this is the furthest you can get. And yet, at the same time, as communist youth, there's some similarities. But still, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And I feel you on that. Like I, It was a very deliberate choice to choose to have children and marry the man that I did. I'm, I'm never worried that he's going to suddenly be like, you know what? I think I believe in God. And I'm. there is no way that's ever happening with this guy, right? So I felt almost safe in that space with him. Yeah. And, and my wife and kids don't listen to the podcast either. And I'll, I'll get, we'll do an episode, Brian and I'll do an episode that I'm really proud of. Like the one that we did with Andrew about coming out gay and great big AOG. And I, I just think that's just such a great episode. Everyone you listen, listen, listen yeah, to yeah, my yeah, work. Yeah, exactly. Come exactly. join me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I try and get my wife and kids and especially my kids because I wanted them to hear how important this is, you know, because this is about acceptance of, you know, L- LGBT, et cetera, thinking they're going to connect. Nah. It's like, Dad, shut up. We do not want to hear your podcast and we don't want to hear your trauma. <laughs> I was on a little road trip with my son in the summertime and we, ha- we had to take a ferry ride and then drive for a few hours on Vancouver Island. And during this time, I had just finished producing one of the episodes for season three and I needed to listen back to the whole thing uh, before it was published and make sure that everything was good. So I said to my son, you know, he's 10. I'm like, okay, dude, I think it was the episode on the Pentecostal church camps as well. So I thought, okay, there's a child aspect here. So maybe, I don't know. So I said, dude, like, do you want to listen to this? I'll wait if you don't want to hear it. No, I totally want to hear it. And he sat as a 10-year-old, asked a few thoughtful questions as we went through. And then when we were done, I said, what did you think, bud? And all he said was, there was one part where this woman went and had a breath. I think you should have edited that out. And I was like, dude, that's your feedback after this 45-minute episode on the tortures of the Pentecostal church camp? It was brilliant. I loved it. The prophets never really get recognition in their own town. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just how it is, unfortunately. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I love the way you weave the scriptures back in, Brian. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, here we are having a great time. Oh, now Brian's going to fucking trigger us. Here we go. Trigger, 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 trigger. Sorry, it was my subconscious just coming back. It, it is interesting. My partner used to listen to the podcast and she's well behind now, but she listened to, I think, maybe the first two seasons um, and found it interesting because I, I think there are things that she didn't know about me. She, Interestingly, she lived in the the UK in high school and, and went to high school over there and had a friend who was an evangelical and she used to go to church with her and her family are staunch atheists. So they were really concerned that she'd found this friend that she was going to church with. Now, my partner doesn't believe in God. She's not a Christian. She's she's definitely she's probably agnostic more than atheist if you had to put a label on it. But we would have conversations because in the podcast I'd probably say 
more of those intimate truths about myself and a vulnerability than I would face-to-face quite often because there's an anonymity in some sort of way behind the microphone. So it has been it has been eye-opening and friends who listen to it are the same. It's like, fuck, dude, I didn't know about that in your life and I didn't know. And there's very few people in my life now that were part of my life back then when I was, I was part of a church. You know, it's a... It's a it's a, a past and it's a history and I probably only connect with, I don't know, a dozen people from back then. But so it is interesting. It does give people a different insight. All right. I got another question for you, Tara Jean. Have you grown in any direction having done this season? Is there something that's something about yourself or something about you, the way you see Pentecostalism or spiritually? Well, my gut reaction to that is actually just to share with you that I did for the first time this season get feedback from two people. So I'm only talking about two people that bothered to write, but maybe that represents more listeners. Two people who are Christian listeners of Heaven Bent who felt that this season I was disrespectful to their beliefs, that I was making fun of them. Um, I think that this, this season in comparison to the other two, I probably let everyone hear a little bit more about where I'm at, which is definitely... I'm not taking it so seriously before. I think like in season one, especially with my own experiences, it was I was I was being very sacred about it all. I was cherishing it all in a way. And I think maybe it's connecting with Sharon and being able to laugh about our experiences has been a new element of my faith journey or lack of faith journey. And I know that in season three, it did rub a few people the wrong way. But honestly, like I'm always surprised that there's Christians listening anyway. I thought, oh, I probably lost you episode one of season two maybe. But, you know, and there's no way for me to know that data. Apple Podcasts isn't asking everyone for information about their religious beliefs. So I only know who my listeners are from who bothers to write me. And the large majority of people that write me are people like us, people who were raised in the church as young, as young people, as kids and as teenagers, and who have, you know, over the course of their adult life come to a new set of beliefs and uh, really love to look back on that time and analyze the crap out of it. Uh, There are a lot of us in this world and I'm so happy that I've found a way to connect with everyone. Oh, we're happy that we just got you to sing, even though if it was just a note. Oh, did I? Then. So, well done. You did a very Mariah Carey. Um, <laughs> so she does like to sing her sentences even when she talks. Um, she but it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Like that that past and trying to maintain that reverence. I think we did to a certain degree, but we also have Christian listeners, and we've got a we've got a Facebook community with. Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of people in there. I think we're up, I don't know, over 700 now. 700 plus, dude. We are the 700 Club. Mm -hmm. We are the 700 Club. (laughs) Welcome. We tried to give away a T-shirt when we hit 666, but the person wouldn't respond to us. And then when we hit the 700 Club, we were excited about that one too. Yeah, there you go. And we've got to hit 777, the number of heaven. I don't know if you remember that T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They'll get a T-shirt if they respond to us. You know, we 
do have those listeners the same that give us feedback, the Christian listeners going, I, I thought you were really disrespectful and I thought that you were dissing. And, and We don't have to pander. Guess what? We don't have to pander to your beliefs. We've done that. I do it way more than I even think is necessary in my podcast and in general in daily life. We pander to Christian beliefs, even though for me, it's mythology. You're, you're believing in a weird old fairy tale and we're all tipping, towing around like these adults believe in fucking Santa Claus. Like it's, it honestly is super weird, right? And yet I'm never going to talk like that on Heaven Bent. Like I'm never going to talk like that on my radio show because I try to, cre- I try, I try to be respectful. I'm, tr- I'm trying. That's more so, it's more so that. It's more so that I'm just, I'm trying to create a space where we can all listen and discuss these things, you know? Yeah, no, look, I think within our, and I did love that little, and I think we could use that as a snippet to promote. And I think we we do try and maintain within the group, we we don't allow people to bag each other out for beliefs. We we want a space where people can actually go, hey, I still believe this. And that's okay. Like we've we've got such an incredibly broad spectrum of people within our Facebook community, within our listener community uh, more broadly. I, I think it's it's really interesting. But let people have their opinions. And if people think it's a fairy tale, like you've just said, that's okay too. Um, if you don't think it's a fairy tale and you want to believe it, that's your choice. But like you, I think it's a fairy tale. You know, it's mythology. It absolutely is. People get really offended when you bring that opinion to the table, but you're not allowed to be offended that they're bringing a fairy tale to the table. It's it's really interesting. It's a power dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, and and I find that really conflicting. So I want to be respectful. I want to listen to you. I want to validate what you're saying that in so much that that's your belief and that's okay. But please, please validate this is my belief and this is where I've arrived. And Brian, that's where the progressive Christians are much easier to, yeah, they're much more palatable because they'll go, yeah, yeah, that is a fairy tale. And, you know, that's part of the mythology, but I still find God, you know, in, in the midst of this, but they'll admit it's a mythology. So it's really, it's about that fundamentalism. It's about that literalism. That's where it becomes hard to coexist with. Yeah. Tough times, tough times navigating the world of diplomacy, isn't it? Hey, so can I say that season three is wonderful? You did, you did have me hooked from the first episode. Uh, I loved the stuff about the Christian camps. That was just so relevant. It's exactly what I'd experienced as a Revival Centre member and also an Assemblies of God member. It's absolutely wonderful. So I'm looking forward to a couple of days. It's The, the new episode's going to come out. It's it's really good. If, if you haven't connected yet with uh, Heaven Bent Season 1, 2 or Season 3, please find it on your favourite podcast platform. Anything you want to say to us, Tara Jean, before we let you go back to Canada? I just want to cheer you guys on, man. I, I love what you're doing. I love it that you're, you know, you've, you're fostering a really intimate community of people on your Facebook page. And I, I really enjoy being a part of that. And I just want to cheer you on and, and say, keep going. And I'm so glad that we've connected. And thank you for the way that you've supported my work. It's really made me feel not so alone. No, thank you. It's it has been a pleasure, and it's been great ever since we connected. We we do stay in contact over socials, and it is great to chat face to face virtually again. I think it's been amazing, and really look forward to the IHOP stuff. It sounds fascinating. 
let's stay focused on this season for now because I think it, it is a, a fantastic piece of work. It's really interesting. And if you really do want to have that crossover between true crime and spirituality and Pentecostalism and church, this is the podcast for you. Yeah, and who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want true crime Turns and out tongues? there's a few people, but... <laughs> All right, Tara Jean, thank you so much for being a part Thanks, of our guys. show again. You are our first returning guest. So Yay, there's a first. Love yeah. It. So we, we love talking with you and thank you so much for being a part of this today. All right. Goodbye from, what did you call it? Canadia? Canadia. Canadia. It's where Canadians come from, Canadia. See you later, eh? All right, Brian, I'll see you in a fortnight. <laughs>